You're listening to Alpha Health and Wellness Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Haley Schaff, where I'm here to empower you to become the alpha of your health. Hello, you guys, and welcome back to the podcast. I am so excited to share with you guys the interview that I did with Dr. Mindy Pels. She is the absolute expert on fasting, especially fasting for women. And this is something that I see a lot because a lot of women, we see things, especially in just the health world in general, as black and white. Fasting is either bad or it's the best thing since sliced bread. Or, you know, all these things can either be like the best thing in the world or they're horrible for you. But fasting is a very gray area. And we talk about that today and how for women who are trying to balance their hormones, how you can do fasting in a beneficial way so that you get all the benefits, but you still add in the hormone support there. I don't see it as if a woman is struggling with their hormones that they should just never fast because I see it just at least an overnight fast being beneficial for everybody. And we talk all about that and kind of the nuance about that. And I just so appreciate her extensive research. She's worked with hundreds of thousands of people on fasting and different variations and all of those different types of things. So she's an expert. You guys are definitely going to want to break out a pen and paper for this one to take some notes, especially as we take you through the cycle and when to kind of tailor your food, when to maybe taper your fasting. But even if you're a, a man listening to this, this is going to be beneficial for you because we do just talk about the outright benefits of fasting and how it can really be one of the best free tools that you use in your toolbox. So Again, I cannot sing Dr. Mindy's praises enough, but she is a renowned holistic health and fasting expert who's on a mission to get a million people fasting. Her popular YouTube videos on fasting and alternative health tips have gained over 15 million lifetime views. The Resetter Podcast, which is one of my favorite podcasts, she founded and host is ranked with an Apple's top 40 category of U.S. science podcast. She's also the author of three best-selling books, The Menopause Reset, The Reset Factor, and The Reset Kitchen. Her platforms host a monthly fast training week that brings together half a million people to practice fasting as a community. Teaching her signature five-step approach from her book, The Menopause Reset, she's empowered hundreds of thousands of people around the world to harness their body's healing abilities through fasting, diet variation, detoxing chemicals from the body, stress management, and lifestyle changes is key to achieving optimal health and slowing down the aging process. She's also the founder of the Reset Academy, which is a private membership group where she teaches women how to sync their fasting cycle and lifestyle with their hormones. Again, She's just such a wealth of knowledge. She, again, is one of my favorite people that I definitely go to when I'm looking for the research and looking to kind of learn new things. And so I know that you guys are going to learn a ton in this episode. I cannot wait to hear what you think. All right, Dr. Mindy Pels, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. You are probably the go-to expert that I go to in terms of resources for fasting and the amazing, amazing, amazing benefits, but especially as it pertains to women and how we're going to definitely get into that conversation today. But I just can't thank you enough for being here and just sharing your expertise with us. Oh, thank you for having me. This is like literally my favorite conversation and my mission is to inspire women to fast. So I can't wait to talk about it. I love it. How So how did you even get into you know, this space in the first place, how, like, how did you become 
what I would see as like a go-to fasting expert. So this is pretty funny because I was literally the person that ate six meals a day. I carried snacks around with me everywhere I went. If I didn't uh, get food, I was hangry. Like I laugh at myself because I'm like, really, you were the least likely uh, about 10 years ago to be talking about fasting. But what happened was as I was using nutrition principles on my on myself and with my patients, I started to see that just a clean diet alone wasn't the health answer for every single person and especially for women. And about that time, the obesity code had come out. Um, Walter Longo and his studies on three-day water fast had come out. And so I was sort of watching fasting from afar and when I started to really look at the science, and I love the science, I really started to see like, oh my gosh, we our bodies thrive when we take food out of the equation. So yes, food can heal, but what if the missing principle of every single diet, of every single food style is that it needs to be paired with a fasting window. And so I started doing that with my patients, you know, okay, you're going to go gluten-free, you're going to increase your vegetables, and by the way, you're going to fast 13 hours a day. And I started like tagging on all of the different nutrition ideas I had with fasting, like compressing it in an eating window and letting them fast longer. And it was ridiculous, the results people started getting. And that just sparked my thirst for understanding this. And now, I mean, I really, I've seen it. Our group, we've got, you know, over a half a million people across all our platforms. We watch their comments. We see what happens. And yeah, it's literally the most miraculous way to approach your body. It's amazing. And when you were saying that you ate six small meals a day and you'd carry snacks with you and you'd be hangry, I was sitting over here and I'm just like nodding my head. I'm like, that was me. I couldn't go to the grocery store. If I was going to be running errands for two hours, I'm like, well, I have to eat every two hours. So I need to bring a protein bar or I need to, my, my life just completely re revolved around food. And I totally 1000% agree food is medicine, but what is that other part of medicine? Yeah. You know, like when we're sick, we just naturally we're just naturally not hungry because our bodies get better faster when we give it a break. And especially with my mom's journey, you know, through cancer and looking at really how fasting can just be an incredible tool to help self clean. I just yep. became so, when I read this stuff, it was just like a total paradigm shift for me. I was like, I've been trained that you, you eat five to six meals, small day. That's what's good for the metabolism. That's what you need. And I totally changed my paradigm shift. And I really started experimenting on myself and really started using it in clinical practice. And I too have seen such amazing, amazing, amazing results across males and females. And yep. it's the great part about it is it's free. It right. Well, that's it. So that was, that was, thank you for pointing that out because that, that is one of my mission cries is that why does health have to be expensive, especially here in America? It's expensive if you want to buy healthy food. It's expensive if you choose to not buy healthy food and you have to pay big pharma and later on. So either way you look at it, it's expensive. So what I love about fasting is it is a free tool that anybody who is the the poorest of poor to the richest of rich can do, to the busiest person, to the person who has tons of time on their hands. Time and money are the biggest obstacles to health and fasting overcomes both of those. 
Oh my gosh. It's, and it's so true. And I think, especially in this space, like, right, there's a, there's so much information out on the internet. There's a million different books. There's a million different podcasts. And I think one thing that drew me to you in terms of really being like my go-to person that I like to look for, for this is you're not dogmatic about it. It's not, Mm, Oh, if you don't fast 20 hours, you're not doing it right. Whereas it's all about finding what works for that person. Sometimes that person might just benefit with 13 hours, especially to start, you know, it doesn't have to be restrictive. It doesn't have to be extreme. And I think, especially for women, I, you know, within the hormone kind of atmosphere, there's a lot of practitioners who just any, like if fasting comes up, they're immediately, their nose goes up and they're like, no, 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 that's bad for hormones. That's horrible. Whereas I think we look at things so black and white and I like to look at things. What's the gray, what's the in-between and I think that we're doing people such a disservice by saying X is just bad all the time, or, you know, this is, you have to be eating all the time and that's good and and not looking at that nuance approach. Absolutely. I mean, I think there, what we're seeing in medicine right now across all back, all medical backgrounds is that personalized medicine needs to really come into play. And this one size fits all approach you know, you have high blood pressure, you take a pill. Like that, that that is so broken, but it's especially broken for women. Mm -hmm. And like, I just read this the other day, it blew my mind that in a woman's monthly cycle, we, our body actually starts to make more good cholesterol in the first half of our cycle because you need it as a precursor to make estrogen. And then once we ovulate, that cholesterol, high HDL cholesterol starts to drop. And in the back half of the cycle, it drops even more. Okay. So if I go into my medical doctor's office and they're just looking at total cholesterol, they take a blood draw. What are they looking at the point of my cycle? How do, do they know where it is? Because I might have an elevated total cholesterol because it's the front half of my cycle. I I say all this to say this is how miraculous a woman's body is and why we have to personalize everything from the supplements, the foods, the fasts, the stress, the medications, like all of that should be time to our cycle. Oh my gosh. Wow. That study is fascinating. And it makes total sense. I read labs all the time, like just standard blood labs. And I'm like, when did you have this done? And right. they're measuring their progesterone level and they're measuring it on day five of their cycle. Yes. And their doctor is saying that they have no progesterone. And I said, well, you shouldn't right. have any progesterone. It's infuriating. It's crazy. And you know, I've had so many OBs um, on my podcast and I asked them all, I'm like, why? I mean, as a medically trained OB, wouldn't, why aren't we, why aren't you guys learning to cycle all this to the cycle? Isn't the cycle your expertise? And they're like a lot of the, and of course the MDs that I'm interviewing have stepped out of their space. They've seen the the weaknesses uh, around traditional medicine when it comes to women's health. Um, But they're like, we're just not taught that. We're just not taught that. It's, it's, It's really sad. And the sad part about it too is I really have had to do a lot of research as I know you have too, to really be an expert in a space as well, like through multiple degrees and certifications, like I've learned a lot, but so much of it is just continuing. Like that study that you said, I've never heard of that, but now I'm going to go look up that study, but I'll it, send it to you. I oh so, gosh, I'm so I'm in excited. the process of writing a fasting manual for women. And so I was doing some research and it was like literally Saturday night at like 10 o'clock. And I'm told my husband, I was like, oh my God, you have to hear this. This is crazy. And he's just looking at me like, 
what? And I'm like, no, no, this is amazing what the body does. So it is, it's on PubMed and I'll send it to you. Oh, awesome. So before we kind of really get into, into this rabbit hole of female hormones on a baseline level, what are some really amazing benefits that the body can have through time without eating? Yeah, like that's that great. Okay. So perfect. It's a great place to start. Um, here's what everybody needs to know is that the research consistently shows that when you condense your food into an eight to 10 hour eating window, you are metabolically immune. That's the only way, the best way I can say this. You are metabolically immune from any damage, inflammatory damage, uh, cholesterol damage, glucose, insulin, all the things that go up with a poor diet. You if you eat that poor diet in an eight to 10 hour eating window, you don't have the adverse effects. So this is where it gets really exciting for me because I have seen that changing people's food habits is really hard. So what if we just had everybody eat within an eight to 10 hour eating window? Now, it doesn't matter really what diet, although you and I would both agree that the quality of diet makes a difference, but it doesn't matter what diet you eat because you're giving your body a chance to rest. And when you let the digestion rest, when you let your blood sugar come down, when you tell the pancreas it doesn't have to make insulin it starts to click into this really accelerated healing phase. So the first thing I always tell people is that your goal is to start to find an eight to 10 hour eating window where, and then, and eat all your food within that, allowing yourself 14 to 16 hours of fasting and every metabolic change you're looking for will happen with that initial step. It's so fascinating. And I think that's one thing that really helped flip the switch for me personally to become less of a sugar craver, to not need snacks constantly during the day because I was eating just super nutrient dense meals, but then I was having time, which, which 14 hours might sound like a lot, but if you think about it, a majority of that can be throughout the nighttime, right? If you finish eating dinner at six, 14 hours would be, okay, you're eating, when is that? Nine? Right. That'd be eight, wouldn't it? Yeah, that would be 8 o'clock. So that's really not even that extreme. If you ate at 10 o'clock, that would be a 16-hour fast. I mean, that really is not a hard ask. At least 13, 14 hours to start is, is I feel like, doable and something that most people can do, right? You you get done eating dinner. It's really good to stop eating a few hours before bed so that you really can be done with digestion before you get into sleep. But it's it's just incredible the benefits that you have your the food freedom that you have the energy that you have which sounds maybe contra- contradicting that you have more energy sometimes and i know that a lot of people who are against fasting say well oh well that's cuz you're 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 really increasing your cortisol levels and you're just running off of cortisol all day and yeah, maybe if I- you're ex- fasting super extremely but i think it's more just because my body's super efficient at burning fat for fuel That's exactly what it is. So one way to look at this is that you have two metabolic energy systems. One, you will activate when you eat. We call it the sugar burner system. It's a little misnamed because a lot of people think, oh, well, I don't eat sugar. 
But it's anytime your blood sugar goes up, your body's operating from that system. And when your blood sugar goes down, it switches over into the second system, which is your fat burning system. And so it starts to burn fat for fuel. This is why so many people are losing weight with fasting. So this eight to 10 hour eating window, what you're doing is you're allowing time for both of those systems to work. Now, what's really cool about um, the fat burning system is the byproduct of your body burning fat is something called ketones. And ketones are really healing. And this is why fasting is sticking around is because those ketones will go up into the brain and they will start to repair damaged neurons in the brain. The more your ketones go up, the more GABA gets make, made that calms the brain. Ketones will kill hunger. And if you are never accessing that fat burning system, you are, you've never experienced a ketone before, most likely. And so we need to get people periodically in that fat burning system to get those ketones to get your body to start to heal. And then the last thing I'll say on the cortisol, and I think this is a really strong point that needs to be taken into consideration, um, exercise raises cortisol especially if you go and you like do a really tough workout, but we don't look at that and go, oh, women shouldn't exercise. Um, now, I do believe that you should exercise according to your hormones, but we don't villainize exercise, so why are we villainizing f fasting? And it's all about the period periodic going in and out of sugar burner and fat burner that the healing really happens. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think that's something that a lot of people can't do, or it's, again, it's, it comes back to black and white. You're either on a high carb, low fat diet, and you, that's just your primary source of fuel, or you're in ketosis and there's, there's no in between there's, you know, that's, that's period end of story. And I think that's just, again, such a disservice. And like you had talked about earlier with, we are all so different and we have to all be personalized. That's one thing I work with people on is I'm, yes, I'm the professional, I'm the practitioner, but at the same time, people know their body better than anybody else. So we're trying and implementing different styles of eating, different fasting windows, seeing what they do best with, because we are all so different. And I think that's just something that's hugely, you know, missing in this space. Fasting yeah, in my eyes, isn't like, okay, you don't eat until noon and then you stop eating at eight. And then that's the window that every single person has to follow to get benefits from. And I, I think we're totally missing the boat when we just have such, you know, one or the other type conversations where I think these are the type of conversations that really make people be like, I'm going to experiment with this and I'm going to try this and I want to see how my body feels and, you know, what I find. And I think you can learn a lot about your body and what works for you by you know, playing around with a lot of different things here. Yeah. I a hundred percent agree that we have gotten so dogmatic. We've gotten, I always, I laughed the first time we started to put together a fasting group on Facebook and it, uh, and pull people together to fast. Uh, I was like shocked that the vegans and the carnivores started attacking each other. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, if you want to be vegan, be vegan. If you want to be carnivore, be carnivore. Like, why do I need you to be like me? And I, that was the first time, this is like five, six years ago. That was the first time that I was like, okay, we really need to step out of being a zealot for one thing. Because especially for a woman, if you just look at your 30-day cycle, and I know some have 28 and some have 34, but in a month period, 
you have different nutritional requirements, you have different fasting requirements, you have different stress requirements, sleep requirements. Like there's so much that you were not taught about your cycle that needs to shift just in a 30 day period. So there are times being a carnivore and your menstrual cycle is great. And there's times it's not great and you should be more of a vegan. So that is people, when I tell people that they're like, yeah, flexitarian. And I'm like, yeah, okay, whatever you want to call it's great. I just want to encourage you to to put down the rigidness of whatever your nutritional tool is and experiment and be curious about more flexibility, especially when it relates to your hormones. Oh, I love that. And I think that's so important. So um, before we kind of get into the hormone stuff, talk a little bit about because this term is definitely thrown around, like if you were to kind of look up fasting autophagy and people are like, what is that? And, you know, it definitely can be triggered in a few different types of ways, but what, what, how do you explain that process? Yeah, no, this is such a good place to start the conversation. Um, so gosh, 2016, uh, Dr. Osumi won a Nobel prize in medicine and physiology for discovering, um, that autophagy happens when, we go without food. And basically what autophagy is, is that it's when your your cells sense the blood sugar going down, there is an intelligence inside that cell that says, okay, no food's coming in. So we need to be more efficient. So what it will do is it will start to burn out any infection that might be in the cell. So if you have a virus in there, if you have a bacteria in the cell, if you have a yeast, parasite, like anything like foreign invader that's gotten into that cell, it actually turns up the immune system and kills that cell, which is amazing onto itself. It also looks around at the cell parts and it goes, okay, look, doesn't look like food's coming in, so we need to be more efficient. So the mitochondria heal, endoplastic reticulum heal, um, any sluggish part inside that cell that is not in the cell's best interest will start to fix itself. I mean, that's the miraculous part about this. And then it goes even one step uh, deeper is if that intelligence looks around the cell and says, oh my gosh, this is a hot mess. This cell is actually going to go rogue. It's going to become a cancer cell. It will kill that cell. And that's a process called apoptosis. So when you look at all the miracles that can happen when you go without food, it's startling and we've never been taught it. So when Dr. Osumi won the Nobel Prize, I was like, oh my God, this is great. This is incredible. We're going to get the whole world fasting. But instead what happened, and he didn't initiate the intermittent fasting movement quite a bit, but then of course, Big Pharma came in and tried to create a, meta, a medicine that would, would do autophagy and they never were able to do that. So that's pretty cool because now we have to do it on our own. Yeah. And, and, it might be inconvenient, but it's really not a hard ask. Everybody wants like a pill for, you know, all these amazing things that our body will do on its own, but it's just pretty incredible how back to our conversation, especially even that we were having offline about just how amazing the body is and how it can heal. We just like, that's something so simple that we can do to let it do what it just really wants to do. And if you think of, you know, the standard American, you know, we're sitting behind a desk, we're snacking all day long, we're sipping on diet diet sodas and just different products where 
eating and then you get get home, you have dinner. And then what do you do? You probably sit on the couch and you're having a snack. Like we're eating and grazing all day long. Our body's yep. never able to, to get rid of these precancerous cells. It's right. never able to get rid of these bacteria and viruses and just do that cellular cleanup that all it's asking for is just a few hours, you know, without, yeah. without food. Where, what time frame? And I know this differs depending on the person, but what time frame do you find like that cellular cleanup or autophagy to be activated. Kicks in. <laughs> yes. Thank you for, for saying that. This is another one that outside of the vegan carnivore debate we've had for years, <laughs> we've had the timing of autophagy debate with hundreds of thousands of people. Um, so here's based off the literature I can find. Um, it usually kicks in around 17 hours autophagy. So 17 hours without food, 17 and 17 hours where your blood sugar is either going down or staying stable. There's no increase in, in blood sugar. And so, um, that I think of it like a dimmer switch, like you're just gently turning it on. And I, from the research I've seen, it usually will really shine, autophagy will shine somewhere between 17 and 72 hours. So if you're doing that, what we started off with was eat within an eight to 10 hour eating window, you're, you may not hit autophagy, but I, this is why I call it fast training. You've got to slowly work on improving your ability to fast. So don't don't beat yourself up if you can't get to 17 hours. Just train yourself, and over time you'll get there. But yeah, you need to hit it, and usually somewhere between 17 to 72, you will reap the benefits of autophagy. Interesting. Okay, and then so from my understanding, things like exercise can help accentuate right that process. Yep. Like if you were to do like a fasted walk or a fasted workout in the morning, that can help get you an autophagy. Oh, yeah. 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 So now you're talking about uh, stacking um, different in processes in our body, which is amazing. So, you know, that's part of the whole biohacking culture is how many different ways can we biohack and hack into our self-healing repair mechanisms, which is incredible to think about. So if we look at autophagy, well, now here's a totally unique way to do it. Uh, you have autophagy get stimulated when you sleep. So to your point earlier, could you eat dinner a little bit earlier and sort and be moving towards autophagy when you're sleeping? So a lot we have a lot of people in our community, they'll eat their eating window is actually earlier in the day so that at night they can be in a fasted state and the, they're getting the autophagy of sleep, plus they're getting the autophagy of fasting. The other way to your point that you can do is um, exercise in a fasted state. So specifically HIIT training where, you're, where your heart rate's going up and down, you're sucking in air, having to breathe really hard. Uh, if you do that in a, at around hour 17, um, you've, you're now double stacking exercise autophagy with fasting autophagy. So absolutely, it's a beautiful way. I mean, there's, there's a lot of other things like there's uh, certain teas that will, uh, bergamot tea, which is Earl Grey, yes. um, you know, that's supposed to stimulate autophagy. So you can stack all of those things together if you want. So cool. And I, it's so funny how you talked about the, the earlier eating window, especially as we kind of transition into winter time. I just find that that just becomes so much more like primitive. I just, I just, 
I look to eat earlier in the day, but then be done by the time it's, it's getting dark because it just doesn't feel right to be having a heavy meal and it being dark and my body's really trying to wind down. So it's just really cool how I feel like I've been able, you know, and some people I get that that doesn't work with their schedule or their family or, you know, whatever, but what's really cool is you can, you can find what works for you and you can play around with these different things and see what benefits you get. And I think it's pretty crazy and I've definitely, you know, changed my window and I'm sure you have too, depending on your cycle of life and your goals and, you know, for me, my hormones. Um, so let's get into that conversation because again, we, we hear, okay, if you're cycling female, like fasting bad, don't do it. But yeah, again, that's so black and white. So yes. what what are ways that we can kind of biohack getting the benefits of fasting, but also doing it in a hormone supporting way? Yeah, I think the best way to answer that is to to go through the cycle, which I think we should do um, and kind of talk about this hormone's coming in and this hormone's going out. So before I do that, I do want to point out this idea around eating late at night. Um, and this is something my brain has just been geeking out on over the last six months. And so I've changed when I eat dramatically. When the sun goes down, melatonin comes in, and melatonin comes in so that you can go to sleep. But when melatonin is surging in your body, you are more insulin resistant. So Mm. if you take, let's just say, a potato and steak and potatoes, and you eat that meal at at, uh, 7 o'clock at night, uh, you're going to have a different insulin response at 7 o'clock at night compared to if you ate it at three in the afternoon. So you will be able to process the sugar. You'll have it be more insulin sensitive if you eat it earlier in the day. But once it's dark out, once melatonin's on the scene, now you're going to find that you're more insulin resistant. So if you're trying to lose weight, that is not a good time to eat dinner. And then the other part is that melatonin surges is still surging in you the first hour when you wake up. So when we go and we look at breakfast is the most important meal of the hmm. day, that's ridiculous. It's not. It's you're the most insulin resistant that first hour in the morning. So this is the eating window. The timing of the eating window is really interesting and you can really use your hormones to your advantage when you understand it. It's so cool because that just it's deep down. That's just what feels good to me, but it's so nice knowing that it's validated based on my hormones and, you know, being really in tune with your body. You know, it doesn't feel good to eat a super heavy, especially like carb heavy meal at seven, eight o'clock at night. It just, then what do you do? You wake up in the morning and you're hungry and it's like, well, I could have eaten that meal two hours earlier and I would have been fine. But so much of it, like you said, has to do with that, how your body's responding to the insulin. It's, it's truly fascinating. Yeah. Well, Go ahead. Go ahead. I I understand why people sometimes are confused on what to do because the body is so complex, but it's, that's why I'm just a huge fan of free platforms like this podcast, your podcast, your page, like, and so many others who are, who are really doing the dirty work and getting into the research and working on it with patients and clients and, and bringing that information so that people can try it for themselves. It's so cool. Yeah. You know, it's like we needed an owner's manual when we first, like when we were born, we needed to like be like, okay, here you have this miraculous body. Here's how you need to take care of it. But the problem is that we're conditioned around societal information. And as women, we've been taught, you know, to diet our way to better health. We've been we're in comparison mode with our uh, with other women. Um, we beat ourselves up for not enough willpower. And really, my big message is you just didn't get the owner's manual. So let's give you the owner's manual now so that you can make the best choices for your body. 
So love that. Okay. Love so that. let, yeah, let's dive into the cycle. Cause this is really fun. Um, so if, and this is the other thing that I think women haven't been taught is even what hormones come and go in the third, in a 28, 30 day period, we should have been given that education as well. But the easiest way to look at this is the day you start bleeding day one, I'm going to call that day one. Um, all your hormones have now come crashing down. So your hormones are at the lowest point. And that's sometimes why we can feel better once our period starts. Uh, and that's, you know, a very individual. Some people feel worse when their period starts. But on day one, those hormones are low. And from day one to day 10, you're going to start to ramp up estrogen. And estrogen really loves a low keto style diet. So you can eat whether you're going to do it vegetarian or carnivore, that's totally up to you. But you want to keep your blood sugar low and you want to increase good fats. So like I said before, you, estrogen needs good cholesterol to be able to be made. So your fasting efforts, your cardio efforts, your keto efforts, all of that is going to shine from day one to day 10. Now, once you go into ovulation around day 11, day 15, now you've got estrogen at its highest and testosterone comes in on the, on the scene. And now with testosterone, there's a debate of can you eat certain foods? Can you, you know, raise testosterone? I don't know if you follow Dr. Carrie Jones. She's, oh, yeah. Yeah, she's one of my hormone heroes. Um, she says there's absolutely nothing you can do for testosterone. Um, I have been recently finding some interesting research that things like ginger, mm -hmm. which is a high polyphenol food, um, can increase testosterone. So what I tell women is that in that ovulation period between day 10 and day 15, you really want to increase your what I call the three Ps, your probiotic, your prebiotic, and your polyphenol foods so that you can support uh, not only testosterone production, but you can break down estrogen because you have a big surge of estrogen there and you have a whole set of bacteria in your gut that are dedicated to breaking estrogen down. So at that time, more leafy greens, more support of the microbiome, and you can fast about 15 hours max. I'm not a fan of a very long fast during the ovulation window. You can fast like a queen, you know, in the beginning part of the of your cycle, day one through 10. If you want to do a three-day water fast, you can do it then, um, but not in the ovulation window. 15 hours is max. And I think that we have such an easier time fasting or being like more keto in the beginning of our cycle because we really, like in the first, when your hormones are really low, it's almost like we're leveled on the playing field of, of a man. We're not, but it's, it's similar to the fact that we're not fluctuating yeah. and we're not making progesterone, which is very sensitive to cortisol. So yeah. it's just really cool when you kind of look at like these hormone fluctuations and then take that again, nuance approach to be like, Hey, you can fast here, but around ovulation, you know, chill out with it so that you're not, yeah. you're not overstressing. And there's something, you know, if you have like one of those brains that like wants to keep working on your health, then work on diversity of food choices, work on those three Ps, like work on your microbiome at that point. Whereas I feel like if you're insulin resistant and you're really struggling and you want to lose weight, work on that day one to day 10. And then after ovulation, you have another four-day period from about day 16 to day 18, so like three-day, where you can go back into keto. And then around day 19, 
is when progesterone comes in. And that's where we don't fast. That's where we don't do keto. All the hormone naysayers that are like, stop, women shouldn't fast. What they should should be saying is women shouldn't fast during the week before the week before their our periods. And mm-hmm. we're actually designed, we're more insulin resistant the week before our period. Okay, well, why did the body do that? Why does the body make us more insulin resistant that week? And a large part of that is because it needs glucose higher. Okay, well, why does it need glucose higher? Well, because it needs glucose to make progesterone. So when women tell me I can't fast, I struggle to fast, I always ask them, like, where what are you mapping it to your cycle? Because if it's the week before your period, yeah, you're going against your biology. But then once your period starts, to your point, most of us start to see I'm not hungry and, you know, it's easier to go keto and it, everything starts to shift at that point. It's so fascinating. When, when you look at what the body is doing and the hormonal shifts, it just, it makes so total sense why people are like, I don't understand why, you know, I, I can't fast, you know, after I ovulate or I'm really, I'm really just hungry. It's like, well, your body is preparing you, you know, yeah. it's preparing you for one potential pregnancy or two a bleed because that's very, very calorically demanding on the body. So either way, it's really like to your point, important for nourishment. And I think that when we're in a better place metabolically, I think those cravings can be yes definitely lessened. Um, you know, you start to just crave more whole food based things. Like I know I really gravitate towards things like squash and sweet potato and just more nutrient dense foods. I'm not sitting, you know, at the cereal aisle in the grocery store, just like piling that all in. It's, it's, it's all the good nourishing foods. Do you have any specific foods that you like women to add in to help support progesterone? That's a big uh, question that I get a lot. Oh my gosh, they're the best foods ever. Uh, This is where I go, gosh, nature really loves us. So, uh, (laughs) (laughs) because this is, and we're so tuned with nature. Like our hormones are so connected to the planet and what we, uh, I mean, we know it's connected to moon cycles, right? But we're also connected, the planet, that the earth has given us foods that really support our hormone production. So to answer your question, they are the root vegetables. So these are the squashes, the potatoes, even leaning into the carrots and the beets, like things that are, the, those vegetables that are a little starchier, um, those are going to support, and they raise your blood sugar a little more, those are going to support your hormone production a whole lot better. You also, believe it or not, um, the tropical fruits are great at this point. Now, I, I get really nervous to tell people to eat bananas or mangoes or papayas because if you eat too many of them, um, yes, it will spike your blood sugar too high. But what you start to learn as you go through your um, 30-day cycle practicing these principles we're talking about is that a banana eaten at day 21 is going to benefit your health and not affect your blood sugar as adversely, not make you insulin resistant as much compared to that banana eaten at day 10. So it's citrus fruits, tropical fruits, root vegetables, even beans are really great for progesterone. Those are the foods you want to lean into that week before. Love that. Those are some of my favorite foods. Right? 
Yeah, like my, and, and just so we can give every woman like permission here, what I do the week before my cycle is there are some amazing sweet potato chips with the right oils and they have like avocado oil or coconut oil. I literally will sit down because most of us will notice our hunger goes up. We've noticed that for years, right? We bitch and moan about the, the week before our cycle and we say, oh, I'm so, I'm craving, craving carbs because you're, you're trying to make progesterone. So don't give it pizza and ice cream. Give it the vegetables I just talked about. But I will sit down and have just a whole bag of sweet potato chips with the right oils and be perfectly happy with no guilt. Yeah, I love that. And I think the oils is, oh my gosh, that's that's one rabbit hole that if you want to change your health in, in one swap, it is looking for those oils, right? It's, right. Yes. They're in everything. Well, and they're and when it comes to potato chips, they're so hard to find. Um, they're in everything. What? Why? The, it's you know. I always say, if I came into your house and I swapped out your oils, you wouldn't even know. Like if I put avocado oil in your vegetable oil container, you would you, not know. You would not know. You would not notice the change in taste. You would notice the change in health. But I think it's because these oils are cheaper to make, and so we see them in foods more. It's horrible. Oh, what a that's a that's a whole whole thing. Oh, I'm, you're, are you familiar with Dr. Kate Shanahan? Yes, I had her on my podcast. She's phenomenal. She's phenomenal. Oh my god, her books are totally what got me tuned into that, and really, that's awesome. It, I mean, it's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. Um, okay, so that's kind of for our our cycling female. What about females who are entering? perimenopause or menopause, their, their cycles are kind of lengthening and shifting. And maybe they don't, they don't have any idea where they're at because it might be gone for a few months or, and they're in this transition to menopause. What, what recommendations and tweaking might you have with what we just talked about for the cycling female? Yeah. Awesome question. And, you know, just for those women, I want you all to know that I discovered all these, these tricks when I was somewhere around 44, 45, I'm 52 now. And um, I was like, oh man, I wish I'd done this when I had a very consistent cycle and now my cycle is not consistent. So I had to figure out some, some new techniques. So the first thing is that if you're over 40, whether you are feeling like you're perimenopausal or not, I would really encourage you to start tracking your cycle. And the app I use is Clue App. It's just the one I found the easiest. And the minute that I start my period, I hit the hit the button on the Clue app and I'm like, this is day one. And I start to watch where my body goes. Now, every th- rule I just said applies because on day one, we should be making estrogen. But what the perimenopausal woman's going to experience is that day 19 comes around. There's no sign of her period. I've even had my Clue app tell me that it's like day 55 and it there's no period coming. So at that point, what you've got to do is you've got to lean into more of the progesterone building foods. But when you stop and you think about it, if you have a 60-day cycle, 30 days of eating high carb is not going to be the answer. So for that woman, what I recommend is you actually pair, uh, you, you do the, what we started off the conversation with, which is lean, try a little bit of fasting, especially if you have done fasting before. If you're new to fasting, that's another topic. 
But try a 13-hour fast and pair that with your progesterone-building foods. Try 14 Mm. hours, 16 hours, because that's what the science says, is that we will repair, bring insulin down, uh, or be a little more insulin-sensitive, bring inflammation down. So just pair your progesterone-building foods with a 13 to 15-hour um, fasting window. So that's that's the first thing you can do if you're an expert faster. The other thing that um, uh, you can do is that there are progesterone building foods that aren't as high as like tropical fruits. Um, so again, tropical fruits are going to be the most glucose stimulating. So maybe you avoid those. Maybe you avoid beans and you lean into the root vegetables, the citrus fruits, and the um, more grass-fed meats are really great for progesterone. So you might have to manipulate your food a little bit. And honestly, I know if you're listening, you're like, wait, this is confusing. Like there's a lot to this. This is where you get a blood sugar reader. This is where you get mm-hmm. a, C- a CGM. Um, the people that I've been coaching recently, I can't tell you how we can take these principles and we use them as guidelines, but then once we can match it to your CGM, which is a continuous glucose monitor, now we can really get this dialed in for you. So, um, to sum the, the thought up is that if you're perimenopausal, track your cycle, um, practice your, uh, progesterone building foods. Uh, if your cycle goes long, you might have to tack those progesterone fil- fil- building foods with your fasting lifestyle. And lastly, I would say for the per- uh, perimenopausal woman, you get to know your symptoms. So what I did for a really long time, back half of my 40s, is if I was hungry at 10 in the morning, I would say to myself, gosh, you know what? Um, it seems like maybe my body's making progesterone. Let me lean into those foods and see what happens. And then boom, all of a sudden my period would start. If I started spotting, a lot of perimenopausal women will spot and then a week later her period starts. The minute I started spotting, boom, I was into more of those progesterone building foods. So you get to play with those and be curious about it and kind of move in and out of these fasted states, move in and out of ketosis during that time for the perimenopausal woman. And it's it's a little bit nuanced. So again, this is why we got a whole book coming. Love that. Oh my gosh, that's so great. One thing too that I love, and I know you talk about it in your podcast, is that you a lot of you guys wear whoop. And yeah. So have you guys found anything cool? Because I know like with a diary entry, I have intermittent fasting in there and I can share like what my window is. And now they have the cycle tracking in there, which is so great. Have you found anything in terms of heart rate variability, ability to recover, to just be more more primed for whatever your activity is? With um, fasting or with with measure, measuring um, glucose levels? Oh, uh, so absolutely. And uh, the biggest thing I noticed is that when our body's making progesterone, sleep is horrible. Oh my so, gosh, yeah. <laughs> right? And we all know this already. And then you talk to any perimenopausal woman, she'll be like, yeah, girl, let me tell you about that. Um, so when progesterone, when my body is trying to make progesterone, my sleep sucks. 
And I can actually find that I'll try to do the same sleep routine. I'll try to like get seven, eight hours, but my body can't even do get to seven hours. It can't get into deep sleep. And a lot mm-hmm. of that is because of progesterone. So I've noticed that I can go into a deeper recovery starting once my period starts. Sleep is better. It's fascinating. Yeah. Recovery is better. Oh, HRV. My HRV goes down the, the week before my cycle. Um, and so this is leads to another question, which is, yeah, that's the week we don't work out as much. You know, that's the purpose of the whoop is to, if you follow that recovery and the recovery is not good, you don't go push yourself that day into a killer workout. You need to be a little more mindful, maybe a little more yoga, a little more, maybe a, wa- a walk or a hike. So yeah, your whoop can absolutely pair to your hormones. It's fascinating. I notice, so I usually average like two hours of REM, two hours of deep pretty much every night. And when I am like really in the midst of making progesterone, I might make one hour of each REM and deep. It's crazy. Yeah, It's so crazy. And and my strain, like I'll go for a walk with a dog and my strain will be so much higher. Just the body is just not as primed for stress, which kind of just reiterates, okay, I don't fast extensively on those days. I really make sure I'm leaning into those rooted vegetables, but with doing all of these things, I think it's, you can still get the amazing benefits of having fasting fit your lifestyle, whatever it is, whatever your goals are, but also being super supportive of your hormones and, and your training schedule, no matter if you're an athlete or you just really, you know, fitness is a, is a, is a key part of your lifestyle. It yeah. all fits in there and it all can fit with the cycling of your hormones or if you're menopausal, just the, the hormonal state that you're in currently. Agreed. And, you know, I was to the perimenopausal woman, you know, again, at 45, I thought I was going into menopause. And so I started doing research and found that actually the the, the healthy age for women to go into menopause is somewhere between 52 and 55. And I was like, oh my God, I'm 45 and I'm going into menopause. This is crazy. So I literally started mapping everything from workouts to sleep to uh, sitting on the couch for progesterone and eating and fasting. And what else could I map? Like everything I could do. And once I started mapping it all, I came out of, my cycle started like regulating, my hormones felt better, and here I am, 52, still getting a cycle. So yeah, so it's really, really interesting that for the perimenopausal woman, you know, she's struggling and she is not being given answers. The answer she's given is HRT and bioidenticals. And I'm not against those things. It's just they're not a free pass. That you still have to do the the, the changes, and that mm-hmm. that's really what the menopause reset book was about. Is okay. What are those changes? Let's do the five, you know, five different changes you can make to your life. And I think that's what I want women to understand: is you're not going crazy. Your hormones are. So let's map uh, your lifestyle to that. Wow, I love that. This was it. I cannot wait to hear the feedback on what people think about this. It's just, it's going to blow so many people's minds to be like, I never thought of my body in this way. And I never thought about, you know, changing, you know, these different windows and, and how the body can react. And, you know, I, I, I forget what episode it was. I did interview Dr. Stephanie Estima in her new book and how she talked about different altercations and ways to change things up in your cycle. But this just was such an amazing and necessary conversation around fasting. I feel like every day I'm seeing something about how horrible it is and it's women should never do it. And I, I understand that any extreme 
can be stressful to the body. I I totally understand that exercise can be taken too far. Fasting can be taken too far, but too little exercise can be taken is like a poor to our health. And I, and I see the same thing as fasting, like always eating all the time is also not usually the answer. Right. Yeah. Agreed. And I think, um, there to, to the point about more women talking about it. Yeah. I mean, Stephanie Estima and I had a, a fun conversation on my podcast and it's actually been one of the most popular podcasts we've had because we went around the cycle and we're like, okay, what about workout? What about this? And, um, it was such a great connection around how miraculous the body is. And then you've got, you know, like the one woman that, um, I haven't actually spoken to and she and I have a little differing opinions on fasting is the, she's, she sort of started this whole movement. She wrote a book called in the flow. Uh, I don't know if you know, Alyssa VT, but I've heard of her. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, the only thing I disagree with her on is that she looks at fasting. She refers to the studies on calorie restriction Mm. and, and fasting is not calorie restriction to me. Uh, when you eat, you eat. And when you fast, you fast. So you can have plenty of calories in a day while you're fasting. But I'd say all that to say that there's a lot of women that are starting to talk about this cycling food, cycling exercise, cycling stress, cycling stress, uh, sleep, like supplements, like you can seed oils, like you can get geek out on this. And what you start to realize is that you weren't meant to do the same things over and over and over again. So I love this conversation as much as you do. And I get it's confusing. So, you know, for the women listening, just be patient, be curious, learn, and then you'll eventually find your own personal rhythm. Love that. And I, and I totally agree. I think, um, I think it's just when we taught, when as I really, really just loved when you said that fasting doesn't necessarily mean cal- like restriction. And because I, I eat a lot of food every me day. Too. And the, the, the part that I love about fasting is it's effortless for me to yeah. maintain this weight all year round. Absolutely. In fact, you know what I found once I found fasting, I was like, okay, so I was using working out to keep my weight where I wanted. So now what is workout working out do for me? And it like it totally shifted from this mindset I had in my 30s, which was, oh my God, I overate my food. I better go pound it out on the pavement and run a little longer to, okay, what does my body need? Do I need mental health right now? Do I want to build muscle? Like I just shifted the way I looked at working out. So it's really interesting how that works. It's, it's just, it's so important. I think especially so many women are just so discouraged. They've tried every diet, they've tried every cleanse, they've tried everything, but have they tried what we've talked about today and making it a lifestyle? I do this, you know, I, my cycle every single month and it's something I do every single month and it's a lifestyle and it's something that it's not a quick fix. It's not something like you're going to drop 20 pounds in a week. It's, it's, something I do day in and day out. And I think that's sometimes the hard part, but it, it's more rewarding because I'm doing something every single day to benefit 10, 20, 30 years down the road. Right. Exactly. Exactly. You know what? My favorite quote that I used for years, and it's changed how I approach it, but um, is do something today that your tomorrow self will thank you for. Oh, I love that. And I do, I think that is something to take into consideration um, that what we do today determines the person will be tomorrow. 
And honestly, this was the, the, the reason I wrote the menopause reset, because when I started to look at the research, if women don't navigate their hormones throughout their perimenopausal years, it sets us up for more breast cancer, more ovarian cancer, more cardiovascular disease, more Alzheimer's dementia in our postmenopausal years. So, and this is, you know, you hear a lot of experts saying, let's throw HRT, at, you got to keep that estrogen up, bioidenticals. I'm not opposed to that, but I don't, you can't, you, you don't get a free pass to not change your lifestyle during those years. And if you don't change your lifestyle after 40, then I don't, you know, you're, as you hit 60, 70, you set yourself up for more disease and suffering. Totally. Totally. And I, I think that's the missing piece and why we have so much chronic disease. You know, it starts now. It doesn't start when you have the disease. It starts with right now. And I think that's something that's maybe hard for people to hear, but also empowering at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I think I would know your answer to this question, but I will. So one thing I like to ask at the end is what is one thing that you do every single day to be the alpha of your health? So I'm assuming, and I know your answer probably will be fasting. <laughs> But since we know how amazing, how powerful that is, what is one other thing apart from fasting that you love to do every day, every single day to be the alpha of your health? Oh my gosh, I love that question. And you're right. I do. I, I mean, literally every morning I think, okay, how long am I fasting? What is, what's the, what's the purpose of my fast today? What am I trying to, you know, hormone am I trying to change? So you're right. That is definitely in there. But here's the other thing that I do that is a nuance of fasting is I think about how to break my fast. Mm. So breaking, in fact, in uh, the book that'll come out at the end of 22, I um, I have a whole chapter on breaking your fast because there's an art to it. And the simple ver uh, explanation is that there are three ways women should look at breaking their fast. Do you need protein? Do you need to support your microbiome? Or do you need more fat for hormone production and to elongate your fast? So I think about that regularly. Am I trying to build muscle? Am I trying to support estrogen and I need more uh, and fast a little longer, or is it time to really support my microbiome? So it, breaking my fast is, a, is another nuance that I use every single day. Love that. And I think that's, you know, it's not like you're just, okay, what, uh, what am I just going to have, you know, quick oats or am I going to have, right. you know, some cereal? It's like, you're really being intentional about how, okay, I want this time with fasting. Now, how am I going to nourish? How am I going to, how am I going to feast and, you know, replenish my body? I think that's a really important and necessary question for sure. Yeah. And it just reminds us all that fasting heals and so does food. Mm -hmm. And if you look at the studies on what fasting does to the microbiome, it's pretty impressive. It can lower, you change the microbiome to not only be a better blood sugar manager, but you can lower blood pressure. Um, you can support neurotransmitter production when you are fasting through changes to that microbiome. But then those changes stop when you eat. So, uh, well, okay. I looked at that and I thought, well, how do I eat then? How do I change my eating structure so I can continue the support of the microbiome? And that's why I really started to dial in what I needed to break my fast with. Love that. Love that. What's your favorite thing to break your fast with before your cycle? Like when you might be craving a little bit more? Oh, so my, there's, I have like two go-tos. Um, so my big go-to is an avocado with sauerkraut, hemp seeds, chia seeds, drizzled with either flaxseed oil or pumpkin seed. 
Um, mm-hmm. So pumpkin seed can actually support both estrogen and progesterone production. Um, there's also good evidence, sunflower seeds, sesame seeds help with progesterone. So mm-hmm. I use a highly concentrated cold pressed um, seed oil that I'll drizzle over the top of the, what I just mentioned the week before my cycle. Um, and then my other go-to lately as a 52-year-old woman who is like fighting for every ounce of muscle I can <laughs> uh, is I would do like a grass-fed sausage with some sauerkraut or I like to do um, a hard boiled egg uh, with some, again, sauerkraut. We try to get that sauerkraut in there wherever I can. Love it. It's such a, it's such a great food because you're getting the cabbage, which is cruciferous and it's so good for the liver, but it's got the probiotics. Yep. Yeah. Love it. And you know what, on that, this is really interesting. So, you know, vegetables got villainized by Gundry and other people. Dave Asprey's hates kale. Like, (laughs) so you've got all these people villainizing vegetables. And I started thinking about that. I'm like, come on, nature has given us great foods, but I can see that the idea behind vegetables is that there's toxins in there um, that are, you know, causing gut damage. So, okay, well, how do we get those oxalates and lectins out of there? And what I discovered was fermentation does that. Mm-hmm. So when you ferment those cabbage, when you ferment, like kimchi has like scallions in it that has an immune response that enhances your immune response. Um, you start to see, oh, fermenting vegetables is our work around the oxalate and lectin conversation. Totally. Totally. And that's, our ancestors were just so smart. They so knew smart. all these things. Yeah. Right? When they say like grandma was right, they were absolutely correct. But let's go back even further than grandma. Grandma had health down, maybe great grandma, depending on how old you are. Um, great grandma had health down, and but our, the cave women, our ancestors, had it really dialed in. Totally. Oh, it's fascinating. I love all of that stuff. Well, I can't thank you enough for taking your time to come chat about all of these things. I could nerd out on this all day long, honestly. Yeah, me too. Uh, I hear you. Me I'm gonna too. Hop into PubMed <laughs> after this and just start looking for all of those things because it's just it's so it's so fascinating. Science is amazing. It's always changing and always evolving, and it's really cool yeah. to see now more studies come out with women with fasting because you know 10 20 years ago there was none yeah. and now we're really starting to kind of see that which is amazing so I know you've got some books um, some coming out you have a YouTube podcast can you tell people the best places to find and connect with you yeah absolutely um, I always say that my passion project is my YouTube channel so um, everything around the science of fasting the application of fasting you should you should be able to find there. Um, my Instagram is more of a like day-to-day. So if you want to see what I eat, you want to see some of the tricks I've learned, you, you check out my Instagram, especially look into the stories. That's where I, I post things that are more like what I'm doing on a day-to-day. Um, and we have a fasting group in Facebook because Facebook has the greatest uh platform for groups. So we have a group in there where we fast together once a month. It's a free group. And if you forget all that, you can go to drmindypels.com. The menopause reset is great for women over 40 and for all women in 22. Um, Hay House, I just signed to deal with Hay House. And, Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. So we're calling it Fast Like a Girl and it will be out in December 2022. 
Oh, I've got to wait a whole year. I know, right? Well, you know what? Here's what's really funny about the publishing industry is when Hay House uh, sent me an offer letter, they were like, we can do a quick turnaround time. This was in September 21. They were like, we can do a quick turnaround time and get this out in December 22. So there you go. That's quick for the publishing quick, industry. Wow. <laughs> so yeah, that shows you how long it takes to make a book. Puts it in perspective. Well, you're amazing. I mean, the content that you put out, it's it's incredible. And I just can't thank you for doing all the work that you do. It's You really are making a difference. Oh, thank you. Well, thank you. And I appreciate the opportunity to have these discussions. And anybody that has a female audience, it's like we, we're, we need to come together as women. And we need to support each other in our own unique pa- health path. And we need to have discussions like this. So thank you for bringing me on and, and discussing this. I'm excited for this to get out to women as well. Me too. Absolutely. Well, thank you.